0: Sitting like this is going to be really uncomfortable. How okay, long is this cool. going to take?
1: Hour? Really? Well, if oh, you started it? when I got here an hour and 40 minutes ago, I'd be home by now and you wouldn't have to <laughs> deal with me so much. And then when do we get, like, some fun Ben stories? Where do I fit those in?
0: <laughs> this is fun, Ben.
1: I don't know. Ben looks like he's not having fun at all.
2: Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one, as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. This podcast is brought to you by Pioneer Water Tanks, the most trusted name in water storage in Australia. For over 30 years, they've remained the industry leader by continually improving the engineering and technology that goes into every tank. Superior technology gives you superior peace of mind for your precious water storage.
1: Welcome back to the Central Station podcast. My name is Steph Coombs, and in today's episode, I'm sitting down with Ben Mills, who, as you heard in the introduction, came onto the podcast very willingly and with much enthusiasm. If you're a long-time listener of the podcast, you'll be familiar with Ben's wife, Caitlin, who featured in episodes 29 and 33. In this episode, Ben takes us through the experience of being a first-time cattle station manager during a record flood, which was then followed by drought. Be sure to head over to our Facebook group, Central Station Podcast, and let us know what you think and who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. And as always, if you're listening through the Apple Podcast app, please leave us a review below. Hi Benno, welcome to the podcast. Hey officially the shortest answer (laughs) reply in all of the podcast history and of course we also have Caitlin here so Caitlin and Ben Mills, managers of Mandora Station and today we're going to be talking about the um, two years of flood and drought that um, they recently experienced on Mandora. Benno, we are social distancing, Um, Benno is and Caitlin are behind a glass door inside I'm out here in the heat because, you know, taking one for the team. Um, and I just can't do anything to make Benno crack a smile. I'm trying <laughs> everything. It's hard that, like, the fly wire is closed as well, so I can't see you guys as well as if it was just glass. But anyway, I'm going to pretend like Benno's smiling. Um, Benno, why don't you start, or Ben, sorry. Ben Mills, why don't you start us off by telling us a bit about Mandora as a station and explaining it to people that maybe have never been there before or aren't familiar with the country?
0: Um, so, Mandora is a particularly small uh, but highly productive partial lease on the on the West Kimberley coast, um, situated sort of halfway between Port Helen and Broome, um, prized of sort of uh, like a yeah, coastal. Marine, plane, land system, backing onto a, backing onto the Great Sandy Desert, um, sort of Pindan style, very well watered sort of country. Um little nice little herd of drought master cattle there, um, all self-replacing drought master herd. Um,
1: when you say it's well watered, what does that mean?
0: Uh, so where it's situated, we're on top of the Lagrange Aquifer, which has been reasonably well documented um in the last few years of huge amounts of water um so various water depths only will come up t- upwards of the surface nearly three four meters from the surface in places um and and that water goes right down to about 60 meters of, of bottle quality water so and you can drill a ball just about anywhere you'd like so um yeah that makes um makes development pretty easy
1: and that makes up for the lack. And that makes up for the lack of surface water.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we don't um, don't have it hold any surface water on Mendoor whatsoever. So if a cow wants a drink, they go and stick their head in a trough. So uh, it makes you ball runner and pretty important person because there is no surface water whatsoever.
1: All right. And what is the significance of the coastal plains? Can you describe to me? Um, Because before I'd gone out to Anna Plains Mandora I'd never even seen coastal country, so I'm not sure about the rest of our listeners. Like, what is it actually made up of and how productive is it?
0: So, taking a bit of a long blow here, but if you look from the satellite picture, it looks um, coming from the southeast. It looks like an ancient tidal creek um, where the, because the country to the south and the east is all... Red sand pinned in, um, but as you get closer toward the coast, it turns into about 100 feet of grey, so grey over black um, clay, which pretty much what you think of the seafloor is that's what it is. Um, you even find in the middle of the paddy, you'll find old shells, all sorts of things, mm-hmm. um, and it's probably hasn't been in ocean for a very long time. I wouldn't know how long, but um, so as it sort of because at some ancient watercourse. Um, it grows a different type of plant. Like, so we've got a, a very high, dense, densely populated grass there buffalo, birdwood, um, silky brown. actually, I don't know what the name, proper name is for that coastal bluegrass. Um, but doesn't grow a lot of trees, so very high, like, plants per hectare um, when it comes to the perennial grasses. So, yeah, it makes it highly productive responds really well to not much rain um, as we've definitely found out in the last couple of years that um, can grow a pair of feed and grow a good quality cattle on sort of a quarter to half your annual rainfall
1: all right and what about the pinned down country how does that compare or how does that work are they do they complement each other do you think or is it just kind of like two random land systems that you just have to deal with
0: um, we run it almost as two separate stations completely. Um, like I guess in the Queensland sense where you'd, you'd have a breeder block and a fattening block. Um, we pretty much run them the same way as that. So out in the pandemic dam, we've only got cows. Um, and we try to only send mature cows out there. So we, um, at least been pregnant with a second calf, um, before we send them out there. And when they cast for age, we'll bring them back to the coast to grow out before slaughter. Um, that way. So, but it seems it, we runs run breeders fine. Um, with a bit of, bit of dry season leak and, and the phosphorus leak in the wet season, um, they, they do quite well. Fertility seems to be great. Um, you, could, you definitely wean a turn off, not as heavy as it would be on the coast, but it's, um, it's good, good enough country.
1: And what's the significance of making sure a cow is uh, pregnant with her second calf before she goes out on that harder country rather than just chucking out a heifer who's never been pregnant before?
0: Uh, it's mainly just getting getting that second calf um, if you they would conceive the first one fine um, but just when they have it out have it on the pin down their first one it'll just the chance of a wet rebreed is little to bugger all um, so you'll end up skipping a year and then they would probably be fine but there's no point having them if they're gonna or it's it's a long time between drinks if they're um yeah skipping years and it's sort of probably Gets them into the cycle of probably taking a year off, um, which you definitely don't want. You want them getting that well into that cycle. That yeah, a calf every year is a good thing, and, and so that that's, way we can. It,
1: that's primarily because of the nutritional differences between the coastal plains and the um Spinifex country or the Pindown country.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Yeah, it's nowhere near as good. Takes a lot more to digest, um, and like the sort of the. With the younger heifers, they're still growing through that first calf into that second calf sort of area. Um, it just doesn't meet that nutritional requirements to really grow them out that well, um, plus maintain sort of good condition with a wiener at foot.
1: Now, it wasn't all that long ago that the Pindan country wasn't particularly developed and there was only a handful of cows on that side of the highway. Um, and while there had always been intentions to develop that country, um... I suppose those plans were accelerated by Mother Nature. Do you want to talk us through 2018 and what happened to you guys there? We'll talk about 2018 and 19 and just kind of how different aspects of the climate and the weather um, have impacted the cattle and country on Mandora and um, kind of forced, not forced your hand, but sort of, yeah, kind of sped you along a little bit in certain parts of development that you guys were going to do.
0: Yeah, for sure. So wet in 2018, that was one that we're never going to forget. That um, was about the last time it rained properly on Mandora too. Um, January was looking like an absolute belter. Um, we had first cyclone came through. I think we had sort of somewhere around the 200, 250 millimetres of rain, um, which was sort of double the January average. Thought beauty, went away on holidays. Thought life's looking good, manager of the year coming right up. But, um, yeah, then February came around and got another cyclone, and, um, which were all great cyclones. Nothing got damaged. But, um, yeah, then we're up at that 500, uh, five, 600 mark um, when it came through. Then, then um, in, I think was must have been early March, um, the third one hit. We didn't quite get as much rain out of that one, but it hit Anna Plains and dumped upwards of 400 millimetres up in the top end of that catchment area for that ancient sort of watercourse. And um, our rainfall ended up being about 750 millimetres across the three and a half months. Um, Our long-term average is about 385, so um, just shy of double what we'd normally expect to get. Um, And when that 400 millimetres sort of roughly fell up in that watercourse, it ended up flowing down and filled our marine plane or a fairly large portion of it up with water um, anywhere between sort of a foot and three foot deep and for nearly six months some of it was underwater
1: now there was something else that was underwater for nearly six months do you know um caitlin's told us her version of that story would you like to have your chance to have a rebuttal and put your spin on it yeah, Caitlin, you can tell it for him again if you
0: like. <laughs> <laughs> During the first cyclone, um, we have uh, – we were running a mob of breeders around in a cell rotation and, and where they were on the marine plane, there was um, there was no trees. So the rain showed up of so about six hours earlier than we thought it was going to. So um, Dave I and myself uh, shot out there in the morning. It was – yeah, it was absolutely dog. Now we had about 70 or 80 mil by this stage. Um Belting down, so we shot it down the Ute, to try and shift these cows, just to get them in the paddock with a bit more timber and cover. Um, wind was, I don't know, it was 70 seventy, eighty k's an hour by this point, raining sideways. As we we're driving across the paddock, we uh, broke through the top of all the buffalo, which was holding basically a crust on top of a grey soup underneath, and uh, buried the Ute. Through a quick, uh, a few attempts to try and get out, we. Uh, Called it quits and um, had to walk home because the cyclone had blown down the um, the Telstra tower. So no phone reception, no two way, no nothing. So we had to walk home about three and a half k's in the in the the seventy k an hour winds and rain, which is I was wearing a long sleeve shirt, so it wasn't too bad. But Davo had no shoes on and a singlet, so that was pretty bad. And we were stuck on the middle of the the marine plane too, so we had to sort of we couldn't see that far. We only had three 100 metres of visibility. Um, we had to go back through a big tea tree belt and there's only sort of one gap in it so we had to take a bit of a gamble and pick a direction and try and find our way across there, which is, um, you know, it was funny looking back on huh? it. It was pretty, pretty shit house at the time.
1: <laughs> had you already moved the cattle by the time you got bolt or did you have to go and try and move them on foot?
0: No, we ended up trotting down the corner and um, we opened all the gates and they were, they were pretty much in that corner anyway. They, they're they pretty smart old chooks. They knew where they were going. So um, they wanted to be in the tree, So we just swung the gates from them and sort of tipped the hat and off we went um, in our separate directions. And, yeah, we tried, started our little wander back to the house.
1: How long do you reckon it took you guys to walk home?
0: Oh, hour, hour, a bit. And what do you... Yeah, what do you... we made pretty. Go on. Made pretty good time there because we could actually swim on the road at one stage. So that was um, a lot less painful. So it was, sort of, you know, it, was, it was pretty funny at the time.
1: When you swim on the road, are you just like going breaststroke or are you like doggy paddling or like what's the other one where you like your arms go over your head? I don't know what this one's called. Freestyle. Freestyle. Freestyle, that's the one. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, there's a bit of everything in there.
1: And what do, you, what do you talk about on the way home? Like do you just... Do you have a conversation, or do you guys just are you like head down? Let's get home. Because God knows oh. if I'd been there with you, there would have been a lot of complaining.
0: Yeah, there was a bit of bit of complaining, and not too much I could share on um on, the, on a family program. <laughs> but
1: okay, and then good. so you, so you guys get home, um, and you're still. So this was the last cyclone of the year, was it? was this the second second one so you guys that was yeah okay so that was um that you was already stuck by the time that extra rain came down off Anna Plains um but in your cyclone when you guys uh finally made it home um what do you do for the rest of a cyclone like um I guess I suppose uh, yeah what do you what do you do when you've got a cyclone come kind of coming down on you
0: Or ignore calls from the ABC trying to call you every half an hour. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, it's locked inside, basically. Yeah, watching movies. Generally, TV goes, and that particular one, the internet had gone too. So, actually, had to talk to each other, which was terrifying.
1: (laughs) Yeah, just you guys in the awesome foursome. now, when, when you kind of get the all clear, I guess, or, and the weather kind of eases up, what's the first thing you want to do when you can get out of the house and go and check things? Like how can you check things? And then what? how do you decide what needs to be checked first?
0: Yeah. Um, oh, particularly when that we knew the – we already had some localised flooding after the, the second big lot of rain and, and the year was still sucking. It had a bit of water around it and um, there was – quite large lakes on the marine plane already uh, when the big one hit and that i knew that water was coming we um ended up with getting a helicopter down from broome just to fly around biggest worry was that cattle were going to be stuck on the islands um like water was not going to be an issue um so water infrastructure well like it's a quick check of water infrastructure which we're pretty much entirely on solar now so they cope with wind and rain pretty good um and there was water everywhere on the marine plane so it wasn't too bad um yeah, it was the main thing was just worrying about if they were stuck. Um they can walk into the wind during the cyclones um and walk into corners of fences and whatnot and suffocate themselves and or they'll walk into the ocean. Um, if the fence does break, they'll walk out onto the uh onto the tidal flats and can get stuck and so that's sort of the, the worst case things, so just check all those first. Um then we sort of seeing how much that water had come up and so we end up cross-hiring a helicopter from down in Newman and, yeah, spend the next couple of days because we did have cattle stuck on islands, um, swum, yeah, cattle through anywhere between two, three feet up to waist-deep water. Um, went up with cattle that were stuck on islands for the entirety of the of the flood, so three, four months. Luckily enough, they were in sort of small numbers and the grass grew as fast as they were eating it and they never ate themselves at a house and home, which was luckily enough, um, just because once the the water had soaked through the, the plane and they were doing so well. Um, big, heavy pregnant cows would just fall through and um, every time you tried to push them off their island, they'd get 100 metres away from it and they'd fall through and hit their belly on the, on the ground and panic and just go straight back and there was nothing you could do. Um, how, yeah, big,
1: so. how big were these islands, do you think?
0: Oh, that one that... They were stuck on for four months. It was probably three hectares and there was 15 or something on that, so 15 Mm -hmm. or 20 and a couple of kangaroos.
1: And so there Um, were other ones though that you were able to move?
0: Yeah, yeah, um, and various. So I would just go back every day and if they'd build up enough strength or um, enough courage to move off and sort of just a lot of time reduced numbers um, was a success rather than – just leaving them all there. They would try and get the strong ones off, um, without without bogging too many, or um, which that was that was an issue. Like sort of older, wet cows were getting stuck as they were trying to get off. So um, and having the shits on board being moved for the helicopter, so they'd sort of just lay down and go, "Dog, on you." So you just leave them alone, and or ever come back on a bike or something can try and get them out. But luckily enough, we never any. None of them died because of being bogged, which is astonishing considering the size of the water and how many we did have on little islands. Um, a lot of them were on big islands, but they were bigger numbers in those areas too, so so the grazing pressure was quite high.
1: Now, it was pretty handy that you are a helicopter pilot, so you were able to cross-hide that helicopter and fly around um, for as long as you needed to and to be able to move cattle rather than having to rely on someone to come in and do that for you. How is trying to move cattle through flood water is different to just trying to muster cattle in a normal dry environment. Is, is there a difference?
0: Oh, yeah, it's like trying to push mud up here with a fork. Um, <laughs> they don't like water. They're, um, especially those marine plankyads. cows, they've never seen, like they live on a flat grassy paddock for their entire lives. They've um, not faced much adversity at all. So, um, one, they don't like a helicopter. Two, they don't like water. Um, then that water, so you sort of, it was very slow. A lot of the time would be days and days of effort to get the ones with enough courage to actually get off the islands and then up to the higher ground, and which happened to be back towards the actual beach itself, um, or back towards the pindan. The sort of end up with a big, um, call it like a giant lake in the middle between the pindan and the actual beach itself, um, which is higher than the the bottom of the marine plane. So, and that was a problem. The water wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, once we sort of worked out that. Uh, It sort of filled the water table up, which was very shallow on the coast anyway. It filled that up and the ground had reached its absolute capacity. Um, There are no natural water courses there to drain into the ocean at all. That it was sort of up to evaporation at this point. So we knew it was going to be a a very long time for that water to disappear.
1: Where were you during all of this, Caitlin? Did you ever get stuck on the bike to go try and move cattle on foot? well, on the ground while mm-hmm. Benno's just, you know, cruising around in a helicopter?
0: Nah, not really because most of the areas were too hard to access. So I, um, yeah, spent most of my time back in the house. Davo could
1: get out a little bit on a two-wheeler, but it was just, yeah, just easy enough to do it with a helicopter. Did De- When Davo did Wait. go out on a bike, did he just come back, like, covered in mud, though?
0: <laughs> yeah, I see you some... guys
1: laughing. Come on, drop a minute. Tell me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, right back at the start, um, we ended up getting a cow stuck in the mud and we landed and he pretty much got dunked and rolled in mud by cows that weren't real happy about being handled. Um, yeah, then we had to try and stand it up and she stood up and nearly attacked the helicopter and all sorts of things. So it was a bit of a circus there. Um,
1: but she got up and she's still alive. <laughs>
0: yeah, she's still alive. That's the main thing. Um, yeah, we've had... The amount of mud that we ended up in, around, over, on, everything we owned, we got bogged twice during that season, just about, Um, going back to fetch that ute, um, because the water was starting to come into the cab when we flew past it. We rode out there, I think it was about three or four k's of knee-deep water, rode through on four-wheelers with kangaroo jacks and everything to lift the ute up out of the water and sort of Wedge spare tyres and stuff underneath it to try and get the cab out of the water, um, which is all their equipment still showing scars of doing that.
1: The ute that did get bogged, there is a picture of it out there on the internet. Did you take that photo or did somebody else?
0: No, that was the boss man, Hayden. Um, So Hayden was actually in the US the whole time this was going on um, and was sort of dealing through text messages at all hours of the night because he turned his phone on during the, the morning when he was and I was sending him all these radical messages about that I'm pretty sure the station's like, I don't want to panic you, but I think this is probably going to be worse than a drought. The flood's getting that bad. Um, so I'd be awake at all hours of the night sort of messaging him and doing that sort of thing. I, I didn't tell him about the ute because I figured there was more important things that, at hand. Um, so when he finally got back, um, he jumped in the helicopter, and or just before he did, I, I told him about the Ute, sort of hat in hand. Said, "Yeah, we've got there, yeah, I've got my good Ute, good work Ute uh, stuck in the Marine plane." To which he had the totally opposite response to what I thought he was going to have, um, and laughed. And told me about stories where he's had stuff bogged for months as well back out at Uggala. So that uh, made me feel a little bit better. Still didn't make me feel any better about the Ute though. Um, <laughs> next thing I know where I was back at the house and my phone dings and um he's taken a photo of it and put it on Twitter. And between him, a few other people he tagged and myself, it was about five thousand followers that went out to and the old ABC across Australia got hold of it so that sort of went to hundreds of thousands of people. <laughs> so just about everyone in Australia knew that I boggy a Ute and every Twitter link lank a page on Facebook had it and yeah, I caught a fair bit of grief on that one.
1: <laughs> it's just so funny because you're so handy and, like, would hardly ever stuff up and so it's, like, the one time you do everyone finds out about it whereas, like, I would do something <laughs> stupid like that once a week and, like, no one knows about it because I just do it all the time. It just seems very
0: unfair. Really monumental stuff up that one. It wasn't, it wasn't that wet around it at the time. It was only raining at the time but it's just by the time we could, it just got progressively worse and worse around it.
1: And so, did you manage when you guys went out there on four wheelers? Did you manage to jack up the Ute a bit to try and keep it out of the water, or keep the cab out of the water? Did that actually work? Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. Okay. So sort of waddling around and swimming around underneath the Ute, and um, yeah, using whatever we had on the back of it at the time, a couple of spare tyres, and we took a heap of bog mats out and that. So now it's um and it' been been made a nest by the local ibises and various <laughs> other swamp birds. So, yeah, it was covered in bird poo and they tried to make nests in the tray of it because it was an island in the middle of a giant oh. lake.
1: Now we should call it the bin chicken, Yet <laughs> That's what it should be called now, bin it. chicken. Yeah.
2: Milne Feeds has been the leading provider of livestock feed in WA for over 100 years and is now proudly servicing the Northern Territory too. Their early wiener product is a nutritionally balanced pellet for feeding to pastoral calves and young wieners and has been developed with their high-fibre technology to reduce the risk of acidosis. Milne feeds also have a range of products available for beef and dairy cattle, sheep and horses. Find out more at milne.com.au. How
1: much do you think of the marine plains um, as a percentage were flooded and under flood waters for you know, an extensive period of time? Was it the bulk of it or just a small part?
0: I reckon it's probably somewhere around, it'd be close to half, if not yeah. more. Um, yeah, so it ended up being about, i work out roughly about 250 square k's of water.
1: Wow. Okay. And so out of all the cattle that you run on Mandora, you run the majority of them on the floodplains compared to the Pindan. And back then, the Pindan wasn't really developed. And then all of a sudden, you lose 50% of your area to run cattle. Um, where you are running them. So then that kind of led you guys to have to try and find somewhere else to put them. Talk us through that.
0: Yeah, so there was a, um, we, do, we had started to be planning um, the pinned develop- end development, um, but like I said, this forced our hand to do it fairly rapidly. Um, so we sort of organised fencing contractors and um, spent a fair bit of time on the mapping software, working out, um, we had a pretty blank canvas. We only had a couple. Um, Existing watering points over there, so we um, got drill in, put bores where we wanted them, um, cleaned all the lines, and yeah, started that way. So we end up putting another. Uh, we put 10, 10 watering points in that paddock. it was about a fifty thousand acre paddock, so it's on just under five five kilometre uh, water sort of grazing circles. So it's it's very well equipped, um, and yeah, we end up. And just up a thousand breeds in that paddock, so which, um, yeah, got us out of drama really, which took, yeah, at least or a bit over half the breeds there out of the area where it was flooded. So, which has then allowed us to continue and go through a flood year. Then we're about to go into a second year of drought by the look of it. Um, and we've not had to sell down into our breeders at all, we're still growing the herders as, as, we, as we speak. So, it's, um, yeah, developments being a great asset to the property going forward
1: developing a patch of country is enough of a task on its own because throughout the rest of the year you still have all your regular jobs to do like mustering and drafting cattle selling cattle just maintenance around the property so development is certainly something to be added onto the list if you had been able to do it as you had initially planned before you kind of had to kind of hustle how long would it have taken to develop the pin down do you think like if you guys had just been able to kind of cruise along a little bit not that not that anybody ever cruises anyway, really, but, you know, if you hadn't have been, like, in a rush.
0: Yeah, I think it probably would have been a couple of years um, just to, yeah, avoid that sort of hindering your, um, your bottom line too much, um, sort of, I guess, paying for it as you go rather than having to throw a huge amount of capital up front um, going into an uncertain season anyway, um, which is how- not ideal, but...
1: How long did you end up taking to develop the pin down then?
0: Um, I think it was about Easter time we Easter time we pulled the trigger on it and we cattle in there by July. So, yeah, so, it was pretty quick.
1: So, you've just pulled a couple of years' worth of development into like two or three months pretty much while you still also have to like do the rest of running the property and all the other kind of stuff
0: yeah it was um yeah, it was pretty full-on we had great contractors Um, yeah fencing contractor did the bulk of the work um and yeah, we did David and myself um, did all the clearing um, ripped all the poly in did a lot, so we did a fair chunk of it in-house um but yeah fencing contractor built some of the tanks for us as well which was a great help because we were able to yeah continue with the other stuff as well and although we didn't have to do too much on the coast because largely largely we couldn't get to a lot of it. Um, We were down to about a third of the mills to check because all the ones in the middle of the property were islands. There were some there where the the trough set up would be completely underwater, so if you flew over it, you could see the trough was full, but it was completely submerged underwater.
1: At least it was full.
0: It was full. Even one of them even had fish in it when I went past one day.
1: Ooh, what kind of fish do you get in a trough? Uh,
0: no, it's a little silver, you know, things. They all come out of the, um, yeah, they're all through that flood.
1: Interesting. Okay. Okay, so once you developed the Pindan country, as you kind of mentioned earlier on in this episode, the Pindan has qu- is quite different to the coastal plains, particularly in its nutritional value. How did you have to adjust your management of the cows going from, one land system
0: to another? Uh, We had to change quite a bit. Um, The decision was made that year to go to Control Mate as well, Um, being that we had a completely empty paddock. We knew it was completely empty, no bulls, no nothing. Um, We could send all the cows over there. And we sent over our pregnant cows anyway and ones that we could tell we'd just weaned. Um, So we sent the paddock over completely dry. Um, so we knew that they were going to have the best chance of getting, getting around the paddock without Wieners chasing them around and, um, that sort of thing to get used to it. Um, cause they were spoilt coastal cows and um, living on Buffalo and Birdwood their whole lives.
1: So is this ca- kind of take um, like, I don't know, like ladies that live in like, I don't know, Bondi and then move them out to like Parramatta or somewhere? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't well, know where is Parramatta is. I just feel like it's not as glamorous as Bondi. So you're kind of taking away oh, from like yes. the fancy, rich suburbs to kind of like somewhere still that you can get by on, but it's not as glamorous.
0: Yeah, no, this is Peppy Grove to Rockingham. <laughs>
1: okay. Okay, yes. For anybody that's not familiar with Perth, Peppy Grove or Peppermint Grove is like the elite, rich, fancy people. And Rockingham is, well, where the actor Sam Worthington comes from. And hello, he's gorgeous. But otherwise, there's not a whole lot going on in Rockingham. Well, actually, there's a lot of stuff going on in Rockingham, but nothing that we can talk about, so. <laughs> nothing, okay. good. nothing good. Um, were they, I had a few chats with Hayden before about how cows can be really, I don't know if you'd call it territorial, but when you try and move them onto new country, they kind of always, they have this homing beacon and they always want to go back to where they came from. I suppose, particularly if they've come from a better country, did you find it was hard for them to settle in or did they kind of just get used to it pretty quick?
0: Um, no, they had, they had the shits on, they, they wanted to go home big time. Um, it probably two months of, of walking the front fence pretty hard, um, which is not good because they were just walking off way every day. They'd go and have a drink. Then they'd go back to the front fence and just walk the highway until they, um, looking for a spot to get back. Um, even though that it was a giant lake and overcrowded, gra- what grass was left was overcrowded to the buggery. Um, that probably helped it a little bit that it was overcrowded and they weren't going that well um, before we took them away and we took them into a very fresh, um, albeit pinned in, but a fresh pinned down paddock um, and that they didn't have any wieners or anything. Um, but, yeah, they they did crack it for a little bit. But once they sort of got onto it and we got um, the supplement into them too, that's sort of like a bit of a lolly for them, helped draw them out to the backs of the paddock and, get them away, get them thinking about actually living in the paddock they were in instead of thinking about where they wanted to be. So that was good. Then um, once like, it rained again, it seemed to.
1: Sorry, pay. I was just going to say, I feel like so many humans would have that experience where like if they've come out to a station for the first time and they've come from like somewhere nice in the city and yet, and they're coming out for their gap year or whatever or like boarding school and like you've been living somewhere really nice and then you come out to the station you're like, oh, this is my donger and then like you spend the first few weeks being like oh god this is my donger and then after a while you're like okay this is my donger I'm gonna get on with it now I feel like I just yeah. really relate to those cows at this point in time Caitlin you don't have to laugh silently just let it go you're good I can see Caitlin through the glass just like laughing and holding it in it's okay if I'm funny people need to know I'm funny I need some support me up here <laughs> Um what was the talk us through the thoughts behind switching from or how how did the the breeding program work on the coastal plains and then all, for what it whatever it was and then you guys moved to a controlled breeding on the pindan why was that choice made and how did it benefit the cows
0: Um so it was just a constant breeding cycle before which the marine plane was probably good enough to handle out of season calving and still be relatively productive um like they were sort of even the out of season cows were having a calf every 18 months um and the ones that were in season were were pretty close to having one every year um once we got a few of the passengers out um but nutritionally the pinned end was never going to be able to handle out of season calving without massive gaps in between calves so pulled the trigger on it um Well, that's the main reason, Um, cost of supplement too. Out-of-season carvers go through dry season lick like you wouldn't believe, Um, whereas dry cattle uh, don't go through too much and it's manageable and it's cost-effective.
1: so for people who may not be familiar with um, some of this terminology or with how breeding cycles in cattle work, I suppose what, what we're trying to say is that on the coastal plains it had a much better nutrition that kind of went for a longer period of time whereas on the Pindan, would you say it had a shorter window of good nutrition and then there was a period of time where the nutrition was quite poor um, or, or not as good and the the goal is to have cattle uh, raising their calves and and giving birth in a certain period of nutrition um, because when you say out of season, that would mean that they're trying to raise a calf when there's not very much available nutrition and it's basically just making it harder for them. So you're trying to, by putting controlled mating into the pin down, so you're saying it wasn't as big a deal on the floodplains, on the marine country, because there was better nutrition for a longer period of time. So even if they had a calf at the wrong time of year, it wasn't as, much of an impact on them as if they'd done the same thing out on the pin down because that nutrition really dropped away. Is that how you – did I explain that? Okay.
0: Yeah, um, like it's it's pretty involved, um, sort of how nutrition and fertility go hand in hand, especially in Bos indicus cattle too. They like to they like to have a bit of fat on the back before they uh, reconceive. So um, and ideally best practice has you carving down onto a onto a raising plane of nutrition um, so you want them sort of born just before the break of the wet um, and as they the calves get bigger and their, their nutritional need increases you want that's when the when your flush of green grass comes in so yeah and that'll help with the reconceiving and everything as well so to try and um, get that one calf per year
1: and if people would like some more information on that just Go back to episode seven where you get my voice on its own for forty-five minutes talking about the reproductive cycle of cows in a really fun way, though. Anyway, um, moving right along.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure that that that's a that's a podcast on its own. Pastoral fertility.
1: It, it is. Well, I did. I'm just fine. I feel like you've just acknowledged that you never actually listened to that episode, Benno, But fine, whatever. <laughs> um, don't look out the window right now because I'm staring you down. so he looks at me um guys episode seven just anyway or our um our pregnancy video which is basically which is what that blog was based off and Caitlin here is one of the people that was not pregnant in that video um but did play no and you didn't even play a pregnant person I played the pregnant person and yet look how the tables have turned now you're the one that's about (laughs) to carve down anyway um so how do you when they're in there, so you moved to controlled breeding, what else did you have to do for those cows? Was it kind of just trial and error or just, you know, how do you figure out how to handle them differently?
0: Um, well, a little bit of trial and error just because we're going into a basically virgin country. Um, but due to uh, Hayden and Jane's experience out in the out at Ugal, we had a pretty good base knowledge of how to run that a desert-style country, um, so that was great to be able to rely on their their experiences and a little bit from their neighbours up the road and in plains and how they sort of went about it. And um, yeah, so sort of trying to work out what the what the carrying capacity was and just you know, sort of how important it is to match that carrying capacity to your stocking rate. And um, yeah, so and how working out how the paddock was gonna respond um, sort of how much depth it did have in it because it was sort of a very greenfield site but yeah how much they would actually eat and we burnt some of it and freshened it up and but nutritionally um, yeah definitely needed the dry season because they were coming out of a non-controlled system they did carve early um, so they were sort of carving September, October uh, November which traditionally I wouldn't like them particularly over there Carve until November, December, because um, our green date, like when we would expect to have green grass, is about the tenth of January. So, like, yeah, if you carve too early, your cows will shed too much condition looking after that calf before it um, before that rain hits. So, um, so we did that. Um, then rolled into the the next wet season where it uh, didn't really rain. We had a great January. Um, had 110 mils for January, which is pretty well bang on the um, right on the knocker for the average. So we thought January sweet went on holidays again. Um, thought this was great. We'll be ready to rock and roll. Come back into January and no rain. February no rain. Into March no rain. So all and pretty much every all the happiness that January brought had disappeared. So these weaners were starting to get pretty big in that paddock. So we went in there in March and weaned anything that was sort of 150 160 kilo um and took them back to the coast because we had we had still had great feed on the coast um so they were fine from there so we got them and so we're just trying to salvage a bit of rebreed um which we've got a bit of a second carving this year at the moment um which we've now worked out our, our plan worked uh, all our What cows we thought we had no chance of rebreeding have actually started calving um, because of that, which is great. So we haven't skipped a year, which was considering the circumstances, was awesome.
1: So let me just work out the timeline in my head. And when I say in my head, I mean in front of the microphone for everyone to listen to. So you have the flood in 2018, you move cattle from the coastal plains to the pin down. 2018 like by like kind of July you said you would you'd finish development or starting to get them across they yeah. carved early that year for what earlier than what you would like for um, that patch of country and then yeah. 2019 you don't have sufficient rainfall so you start pulling cattle off in March or weaners off in March and then who were you worried about not being able to reconceive?
0: Those cows with a bigger weaners, just because they'd been pulled down so much, um, so uh, we pulled okay. them off
1: because their their condition had slipped. Okay, Um with you.
0: Yeah, so we sort of went in with a two pronged approach. Um, dry season lick went in quite early, um, which normally wouldn't do that till August September. We threw a bit in there with them as we pulled those calves off. You'll generally get a, a jump in conception anyway once you wean, but. Um, that mixed with a bit of lick, and, um, yeah, they've had quite a reasonable uptake, um, which is great. Then we went back in that same paddock in July. We mustered the rest of the property and we completely blanket weaned everything. So there was not – I think we turned back three calves that were too small to be weaned um, and, yeah, pellet fed whatever we needed to. There was under, under 125 uh, kilos. We pellet fed up until that point and they all turned out onto the coast
1: how long did it take for, so that that's 2019 you're talking about. Now, just jumping back to 2018 for a minute. How long did that water sit around for? How long did it take to go away?
0: There was some water there in, I'd have to look back at my photos, but it was nearly six months, some of it. Um,
1: yeah. And then I suppose, I mean, it's not the worst logic to think. I know this isn't how it works, but I'm just trying to think of what might pop through other people's heads or, you know, even my own, I'll take one for the team, Um, that you you get double your amount of rainfall in one year and the next year you don't get near as much. But you had so much sitting around the year before. Did that not kind of count for anything the next year when you were short? Like, did you get anything out of that or was it like, nah, that's last year's rain, it's all gone now, no good to us and you kind of start that blank slate again?
0: On the country that's... Wasn't flooded. Um, it definitely had a carryover carry over effect um, just with how quickly it did respond. Um, like the subsoil probably was there but was out of reach. So once it was topped back up, it was um, seemed to – like we seemed to get a lot more value out of our 100 and – I think we ended up with 124 mil for the season. Um, we seemed to got a lot more value out of it than I thought we would normally have got for that per millimetre with that, probably due to the, the year before um, and how well sort of the plant health was from the year before and how long it lasted, like it wasn't dormant for as long as it normally would have been. Um, but when it comes to the country that was flooded, it was underwater for so long that it actually effectively killed the soil um, and only a little succulent come up, back up on it, um, so even with the rain, there was very very limited grass. Even after two wets now, we're probably 25 to 30% carrying capacity on that flooded country. Like, we're still struggling from it now. Um, and it could be upwards of another three to five years before we even get anywhere close to being back at the carrying capacity was pre-flood. What um, do you and we ha- may even...
1: Sorry, what do you have to do to get back to that point? Like, do you just... Let it rest and recover, or do you need to go in with mechanical intervention? Um, obviously, uh, in Western Australia on pastoral leases, um, you can't um, seed non native species without a special permit. Um, so it's not like you can just go rip in there and go and plant something. Like, how do you try and nurse that country back to health?
0: I guess trying to use as well, yeah, mechanical is kind of off the off the out of the question due to the um, pastoral regulations but um using using the cattle really because um, some stuff has come back um the marine cooch has been the first one to come back because it sort of can handle the sort of the saline uh sort of crust that had been left on the on the soil after all the water evaporated and dried up and um, yeah the marine cooch grass which was there before the buffalo, anyway um it's established and got going again, which has given us some carrying capacity again. Albeit it's probably five or six on the cows' list, but um, they've got nothing else to eat. They think it's quite good. Um, and getting them across that land and sort of getting that crust broken up a little bit, then getting them off it, um, sort of like a a graze and rest sort of cycle. Um, and then yeah, every year it's it's well, we only had the two wets, but it's it's getting better. Um, and we just need that sort of that seed to mature, um, then blow in from the outskirts and, yeah, whether we have to file for a special special claim or something to whether maybe bowed aerials um, spread some seed or those sorts of things, um, but that's unlikely to be approved.
1: It's, um, it's pretty hectic how Mother Nature has basically just like killed off our own country. Like, if you think about it, I suppose, but if this was not managed country, it wouldn't really matter because there wouldn't be that need for it to be productive. Like, if there was just no one up here, like, and this had happened, then I guess no big deal if it takes, you know, five, ten years for it to kind of come back. But, yeah, it's pretty interesting how you can just have Mother Nature come and, like, kick you in the teeth like that. And I think everybody expects it to come from, like, a lack of rain, not too much rain.
0: Yeah, no, the the flood's definitely been a lot more... Damaging and long-term damages um, compared to the droughts, for sure. The, the drought we still had feed, um, and you can, I guess, there's a lot more literature. And, and in Australia, we get pretty good at managing drought times. Um, managing and flood is something there's, it's um, not a lot on. I couldn't talk to a lot of people, um, except that the past owners had had it happen once before, which they were great uh, during that and were huge. I was, they were probably sick of me calling them um, about what they did and. Um which were the the pledges of awesome during that whole thing. They um yeah, never not took one of my calls about how long this was gonna happen for and if it would drain where it would or will they Yeah, what what's the country gonna do? Um, is the water gonna go stagnant? Will they continue to drink it? Um Yeah. What the what happens with the feed? Like what did you guys do? Basically just looking for any any slither of um Experience because I had had no real experience with flood whatsoever um, or drought for that matter up to that point. So it's been a um, bit of a baptism of fire when it comes to our first property we've managed together. Um, Yeah, first year was a brilliant wet season. The second one was too good and flooded. Then we've had one terrible one. Then uh, this year's looking like probably a pretty poor one as well. So.
1: Really? But, so how how much of you are you short this year? Because we're already in April, so there's probably not going to be much of anything else come through.
0: Yeah, we're still two hundred and twenty millimeters shy of our average, yeah. so we're still under half of our annual rainfall. Which on our accumulative twenty-four month is terrible, and our twelve month is worse.
1: Is that um, like the rolling rainfall average that you learn at in grazing for profit? Is that that, like, rolling? Yeah. That thing is yeah, amazing but sort of, y- very confusing but awesome. But, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't get it. Like, I need someone to walk me through it, like, really slowly. I kind of get it but really I don't. But anyway.
0: Yeah, well, that sort of goes back to the 19-year why it was not as bad as it could have been because the, like, the 12-month rolling rainfall average from beforehand helped. Um, whereas this year I don't think we'll get quite the same bounce because last year was so poor. Um, but we have since developed up another paddock, um, the other half of the pindan and flight the coast off again. So we haven't overstocked our marine plane with the drought, so we're still in a – ecologically still in a good, good spot. Um, we haven't done any damage sort of going forward, um, trying to – trying to hang on um but we are do we do have a backs against the wall a little bit this year that we may have to sell down a little bit just to make sure we um match our stocking rate to our carrying capacity this year um april still looks at rain there again this morning so april can be pretty kind to us
1: yeah fingers crossed um oh snap caitlin you just crossed your fingers as i said that dream team (laughs) um Okay, so 2017 year of the fires, which we covered in Caitlin's episode, 2018 year of the flood, 2019 year of the drought, 2020, I mean, Christ, like compared to what's happening in the rest of the world, like I feel like year of the drought would be in breeze in the park after what you guys have dealt with in the last three years. Like I think you've already gone through each of the three elements, like fire, flood and drought, if you can come through that. And not only have you managed to come through that, but you've continued to make improvements upon the property and just keep it like ticking along, and like not not even just ticking along, but it's been getting better and better. Um, I'm sure, like obviously, while it's not the ideal scenario that you guys will be able to c- cope this year, um, for sure. What are your what are your best case scenario? What would you like to see happen this year while we wrap up?
0: Um. Oh. It rain again, that'd be that'd be ideal. <laughs> but
2: I feel like
1: said every just, person we, ever.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's um where's well, a bit more rain would be nice. But ideally if we can if we can operate as per normal, like obviously this virus is gonna be a bit of a drama. Um if they shut our international trade down and sort of limit our ability to offload cattle um, at a reasonable rate. Um, And so I guess the collapse of our internal cattle economy um, would probably be fairly terrifying because then we would struggle to maintain like our operating capital going forward um, to then sort of weather out these storms. But, yeah, then possibly run the risk of overstocking going uh, going forward if there is no viable place to turn cattle off to. Um, that's, that is a bit of a worry hanging over our heads at the moment, but I think we've got a pretty good plan in place and we'll have meetings and checkpoints going forward into the season sort of once this wet's tidied up and we'll work out, sort of do a bit of a take stock, work out where our feeds are and go from there, make a plan.
1: So like the rest of the world, it's uncertain times, but... Um I'm writing this book at the moment, and one of the lines in it is like, "As with anything else in life, the best managers have a plan." So you guys have a plan, Um, like you said, you've got checkpoints, you've got people to like that you can talk with and and mentors, and the experience of the last three years. So you are really set up as best you can be for whatever is about to come. But hopefully, it's a good year. Happy days, smile, everyone.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll be right.
1: I feel like, do we just finish on that? Like, are those your
2: famous last words? We'll be right. We'll be right. Cheer out. Right. <laughs> Charles Darwin University's Agricultural and Rural Operations Team focuses on North Australian production and business systems, offering current real-world knowledge and experience by delivering both full qualifications and industry-required short courses. Courses at the rural campus are designed to develop the skills required for work on a North Australian beef cattle property or in the top-end ag industry, while providing a sound knowledge base in the pastoral and agricultural industries. They have dedicated staff who specialise in workplace training and assessment and recognition of prior learning. They will come to you and service some of the most remote areas in the Northern Territory. Find out more at cdu.edu.au.